0: Hi, it's Friday afternoon. I have Shabbos, and um, I have a few minutes. I'm going to take a shot at um, sort of a follow up to the last bio I did and talk about a person. Last time I spoke with the son of the Vilnagon, who had these uh, somewhat, how should I put it, break the tendencies. uh, And that raises the whole question about the Vilnagon in general's attitude towards the Murichol. And whenever that subject is raised, then they always bring up um, a famous uh, quote that's attributed to Grob that they're fighting around. The historians are fighting about even today. The reason I mention this is because I got in the mail my new uh, Gnozim, uh, uh, uh catalog from the Stefanskis. In other words, there's going to be a um, auction again online at uh, Gynazium. If you're interested, it's called Genazym, not with an I, but with a Y. G-E-N-A-Z-Y-M. Genazym, which is an auction house. And they have all these unbelievably rare uh, and remarkable uh, books and, and uh, artifacts, mostly uh, forum and manuscripts and things of that nature, and they're quite incredible. Because I was in the house, I saw some of them, and one of the uh, and they, you know, so in other words. If you want, you can go online, you know, and, just look, you know, and I'll say it again, it's uh, December 11th, is the Yud Zion is the um, auction, uh, if you're in that league, and they have all kind of stuff over there, but the one that ca- drew my attention was um, Euclid, the translation of Euclid's famous geoma- geometry book in the Hebrew, at the time of the Vilna Gond, by a very unusual character, a Baruch of Shklov, Baruch Sheik of Shklov, who um, has been portrayed, let me put it this way, what interests me is there's a huge machlokas, or battle, among the Frumbers and the non-Frum historians over what it means to be a Moskal, and whether this guy was part of it, and so on and so forth. And and now the newest scholarship, I remember there was something in the, Professor Fishman in the AJS, writes all about Shklov, uh, puts it on a new level, and I'll tell you exactly what I mean. The person I'm talking about today lives in the late 1700s, or the middle and late 1700s, um, in Shklov, which of course is not a household name, but it was once upon a time, and uh, Shklov was a city or town in, um, in Belarus. So in other words, it's an area which is part of the Polish-Lithuanian kingdom that we speak about all the time, the kingdom of Poland no longer exists. And he was born in 1744. So that's, uh, you know, smack in the middle of the um, 18th century. And Sklov would be in the eastern part of Belarus. So in other words, like my father's from Minsk. Everybody's heard of Minsk. Minsk is in the left part, the western part of the, that area. It's not that far away from uh, Vilna. From Minsk to Vilna. But what if you're going in the opposite direction? Then you head deeper in towards Russia. Get it? You're going towards Russia. And then you have all these areas, Mogilev and the other place like that, which frankly were became like a, a very heavily Lubavitch um, later on. Um, because this guy's a contemporary to Baltania And uh, he lived from 1764, I think, to 1808 or 1804, something like that. Uh, so he lived to be about 60, 65 years old. And therefore, he's deep in Eastern Europe, as we would call today. And he, and he's born, you know, in the lifetime of the Balshanta, but he ain't Hasidic at all. And he's um, just a very interesting person because of his weirdness. Uh, I don't mean it in a bad way, but rather he's, in my mind, he's a personification of the weird uh, type of Haskalah. I'll tell you exactly what I mean. Uh, Our hero, Barshik of Shklov, was, as they say, born in eastern uh, Belarus. I mean, it doesn't mean a lot to listeners, because most of you don't know what the maps are. And Shklov was a very important town once upon a time. There are cities like that in Eastern Europe that once upon a time were famous and then weren't. Had to do with the economics. And frankly, before the Russia took over the whole territory, which happened in the 1770s and afterwards, they wrecked the economy. So a lot of Jews went bad. But before that, the whole doggone kingdom of Poland, the whole Eastern Europe was one gigantic flea market. I'm serious. And it was, you know, run by the nobles and they got, they took their their, their money off the top. But you could buy anything, anytime, anywhere, in, in any place. Uh, and therefore the Jewish stuff kind of flourished in that sense. And uh, I think I've spoken about it before so I don't want to spend time with it now. So our hero was born in what we would call a a Khashava family, an elite family. Let me put it this way. His uncle was a with the Shagasary, get it? So that means that if it's Eastern Europe, this is the class of people the Hasidim are to a certain degree protesting against. They're the rich, the powerful, or the well connected, the big Yichas and the big learners. So he grew he lived all his life in those circles. So he's a member of what uh, I'm. I'm going to use an inaccurate term. He's a member of what we would call the Litvish elite of the 18th century. I'll say again, his father was a rov in the in, in the town, and he had an, uncle, an old uncle's him, and the uncle, other uncle was was uh, the Shagasari, who himself was related to everybody. So in other words, he's he's a, born a player, so to speak, and therefore don't be surprised if if you're talking about 1740s. So he's growing up in the 1750s, 1760s. So, you know, he's going to become a, a regular uh, from education, as we say today. Which means Gamar, Gamar, Gamar. Now, and he will be, all of his life a from Jew, and a Rav, and a Dayan, and all that kind of stuff. But because he's so well connected, because he got the Yichas and all the rest of it. So I remember when he was like 20 years old. He got a smich and it was made a dying in Minsk or someplace like that. I got news for you. When you're 20 years old, you don't become a dying in a city like Minsk unless the fix was in. You know, you're the right person's relative. You're married to the right girl. You, you know, you got the right proteksi and all the rest of it, which he did. Okay? Now, if that was all there was to it, he'd be similar to a lot of other people. I wouldn't be talking about him. What's unusual about him is that in addition to Gomorrah, Gomorrah, and, you know, he got married the right age, and, you know, like I say, he got the smicha at the right time, and all the rest of it. And if you're dying, I mean, you know, you're, you're on a basin dealing with, you know, real shalas, correct? So you got to know your stuff. Now, in addition to all that, from a young age, he was interested in math and science. So that makes you weird, Duhainu. He, he, he didn't live in the time of the Haskalah. He will, but at the time he's growing up, there's no such thing as the Haskell as a movement in, which is in principle opposed to cultural insularity. Rather, he was part of a culture that cherished cultural insularity, except for the few people here and there that were the weirdos and for one reason or another were interested in things outside the box. Nothing trafe. I'll say it again nothing trafe. Never did anything trafe in his life. But he's interested in things in addition to Gamar, Gamar, Gamar. Not in place of. But in addition to, so what do you call a person like that? From, from a very so this raises the question what do you mean by a Haskalah? What's a maskil? And I've used that term to sometimes we talk about the Jews in Spain in the time of the Rambam. You see, the the the, 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 the from world today uses the word Maskele like a certain pejorative because they're seeing, thinking a thing of a certain type and a certain wave Haskalah. But that's not what was all the time, and in our case, our hero. Was growing up in seventeen forties, fifties and sixties, uh like I say, becomes a dime when he's in seventeen sixty-four when he's twenty years old. So, um how's that work? You know, there weren't any Shivas by that time for older guys. I mean he just learned like in local basement with a bunch of other guys, as is often the case now. You know plenty of people in Lincoln I guess. They just learn in their own, you know, little khabur type situations, which is fine. Um and somehow or other This guy in Shklov um, picked up Latin and read math and science books. So nobody knows. Historians have always speculated, like, where do you get that from? Because when I say cultural insularity, I mean it. Jews used to be, they could only read Hebrew. Hebrew letters, so Hebrew and Yiddish. Hebrew and Yiddish. Maybe for business they could, you know, a little bit read you Know uh, Polish stuff or whatever, not really. You know, not really like a uh, real insular cousin today in America. You know, you can't really read. You know, now that doesn't stop them from being successful in business. Szklov was a major center because it had a lot of uh, successful merchants, which is interesting because it's a Dnieper River because of the location. It was a prosperous community. If you're talking about what well, can people make money there, the answer is yes. If you're talking about people are. Educated in the European way. No, you know, it was it was a cultural insularity. They talk Yiddish. They learn Jewish stuff. You know, when they came home, they're only interested in the mental ghetto. It was fine. But there's always a few exceptions. And as I said before, somehow or other, this guy picked up uh, the the ability to read um, Latin letters, you know, like English letters, and apparently to, to understand Latin. Nobody knows where it happened. It's totally possible he picked it up from a guy. No, 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 why not? It's possible. Some speculate, very interestingly, that he picked it up from the local doctor who was one of the most famous Talmud of the Ramchal. Isn't that funny and interesting? Uh, Moshe Chaim Lutzatah died a year before our hero was born um, in Israel, as you know. But one of his most famous... Talmud was Yikosil Gordon, who was a from Vilna, who went to Padua in Italy to get an MD, and he did in 1732. And he's the one who started the whole trouble for the Ramchal because he wrote to somebody. So, oh, I know this guy is unbelievable. He has Malachim coming to him, this, and that, and the other. And all hell broke loose when Yaakov Emden and the others found out about it because they all thought it's a shop business. So he kind of made his, his Rebbe's life miserable. But Eventually moved back to Poland, Lithuania. And he was a super fan of the Ramchal. He was a Talmud of his. And so here's somebody who's a physician, an MD. um, And his uncle was a famous physician of the king of Poland. So it's that kind of family. So what are these people? They're from. They're culturally insular. But they know medicine. That means they can read Latin and Italian, I imagine. Some European languages. They're weirdos. Uh, they're part of the, the insular culture, but they themselves are, are exceptional to it. But they don't tell others to do it. That's the key point. They don't tell others to do it. And our hero could very well likely, I mean, it's not clear to tell you the truth. I'm not sure if the years work out. I've seen a lot of speculation on this. And there are articles, you know, when exactly you could seal Gordon was in Shklov. It's possible. But anyway, one way or the other, he picked up knowledge of Latin, and in a typical musculic style um he read what was at hand what i mean that by that is one of the definitions of a moscow firm or otherwise is they lacked a systematic education the kind of thing that you have when you went to school as i mentioned the other day you know if you went to the first grade the second grade third grade eventually to the 12th grade some of you may go post high school to college whatever it is um even if you took a course in something a course means it's a curriculum a mosque is what you call autodidact. That means they taught themselves. They had no 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 formal education. And so a guy like this, whatever book you have in hand, that's what he read. In fact, he might have memorized it, but the other book you don't have. Or you never heard of it. So as I always put it, they know about uh, President Franklin Pierce. They never heard of Abraham Lincoln. They know about Grover Cleveland. They never heard of, uh, you know, of Kennedy. Uh, you understand? Because the only book they had was on Grover Cleveland, so to speak. This is the uh, fate of, misfortune of the musculum that they lived in areas where there weren't a lot of books you know secular books there were some and usually weren't organized in a kind of curricular manner our hero is a momish a perfect example of this because he was interested in math and science not in the other stuff i'll tell you he's a from guy um math and science he's he i mean he's a mind man he was a from guy. Matter of fact, he's into he's into the Zohar, um, but he is fascinated by anatomy, by higher mathematics, geometry, and things like that, because he figures that the um, as a from guy, he figures like, in the Chazal are always talking about math stuff, and in the Zohar they talk about the mitzvahs being connected to the different parts of the body, and you know we. Jews today living in Poland, kingdom of Poland, we don't really know anatomy, we don't really know math very well, therefore we can't understand the Chazals because we have lack of knowledge of these basic sciences, of mathematics and sciences that were in those days. Do you hear how I just put it? That's a very firm approach. I'll give an example for nowadays. Somebody's like, oh, I'm very religious, I don't read nothing. Um, What do you want to do? I want to grow up and be a dying. Okay. Uh, What do you know about electricity? Good point. I better learn what electricity is because you're going to need it for and other stuff like that. You hear what I'm saying? The guy's interested in mastering electricity so it'll help him in the Torah stuff. Not for his own, not Lashma, so to speak. That's who our guy was, Baruch of Shklov. And he eventually moved to Minsk and this and that, somewhere along the line. So here's a guy who's a Talmud Chachem and I'm sure he learned every day and all that. But he's interested in these other things as well. And he felt that the yeshiva guys, the Rabbonim, don't know enough in this area, which of course was true. I'll say again, in math and science, I keep emphasizing math and science because in the 18th century, how can that be against the religion? How can mathematics or geometry be against the religion? Science as he understood in eighteenth century, he meant things like anatomy or whatever, so how can that be against the religion? you know you cut open the body you see what all the different parts are they're not against the religion so um if anything it should help you understand the more or better i maybe you'll find which is true some problems with the rabbinic anatomy and uh, you know and the uh, like in Nida, you know with the female anatomy and all the rest of it right? they'll deal with that. But overall, this is, you know, you want to understand the basic nature to help you understand the Torah better. And so, he goes off to um, to the West, which is very interesting. So here's a guy in his uh, late 20s, married, but leaves his wife behind. That's what they used to do in those days. And he goes off to the West in order to raise money to publish books, because what he does is he, like the other guy we talked about the other day, like the son of the Villanagone, he wants to spread knowledge among the Jews of basic science by translating Geisha works into Hebrew, and that way the average guy out there in yeshiva or something like that, not a kid, you know, uh, older, will be able to access a whole branch of knowledge in, in math and science. He has Tiferis Adam, for example, which is about human anatomy. He say figures, you know. How does the average guy out there know anything about anatomy? I'm gonna explain it to him. You understand? And it's very from. You know, he says, "This is what the Zohar means when you have a Sphera that's connected to the hand, and this is what it means when it's to the collarbone, and all that kind of stuff." It's not your, you know, regular secular uh, textbook. It is secular. It does give you the information according to how they understood in the 18th century. Well, dear, I'm wrong. Here, listen closely being a classic Moscow, but again, of the from variety, has nothing to do with the non from stuff at all. Being a classic Moscow, he never had an education, never went to school a day in his life. So what does he know about anything? Whatever he picked up in a book here or there. What he had at hand, it seems, were old books like from Italian professors in Latin in the 1500s. So here's a guy in the 1700s, but he's... What he had at hand were books on anatomy, on astronomy, I might say, on um, mathematics and geometry, things like that, written a couple hundred years before. He was totally unaware of the great advances of science that happened in the 1600s and 1700s. He lived in the time of the Enlightenment when science was making big progress. He simply didn't know. This is the problem with the cultural insularity. You come across like a dummy. Cretan, you don't know what's going on in the world around you you see you don't know what's going on in the world around you but he was blissfully unaware and he figured he's spreading the latest scientific knowledge among the fellow jews so here i'm talking about something very interesting like what did the vilna gone of the know of science and math and all the rest of it as far as i know i could be wrong i don't think the villain could read anything except hebrew and yiddish um, I saw somebody once wrote he could read Polish. I don't know where they. I have no idea where they got that from. I mean, if he did, he did. And how many books were in Polish in the 18th century? You know, there were some. There were, but the language you want to know if you want to access modern culture, and I mean in the science and technology end as well as anything else, would be German or French or, or English, I guess, or to a lesser degree Italian, German, French, English. That's where all the real interesting stuff was coming out. The new revolution ideas because science was being revolutionized in 18th centuries okay i'll just give you one example It used to be everybody believed that aristotle got it right at least 98 percent of the time a little bit he got wrong but you know the rambam was like that for example and therefore anything aristotle said about science was correct so therefore when you studied science you did an aristotelian way when did that break down the answer is 18th century our century when he was born then all of a sudden they threw it all that, uh, that out the window and they said Aristotle was wrong and let's go and start the modern scientific method and work from the bottom up and, you know, brew an experiment, has to be replicable, empirical verification, all the rest of it. This was a giant Kiddush and immediately started to see the results. You think a rabbi in, 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 in Eastern Europe knew about any of this is going on, they didn't know. How could they? So it's like I have an old uh, chemistry book from uh, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. I was kind of useless today. One of the most useless things out there is your high school science books because they're always being changed. Properly so, you know, updated. A lot of stuff you learn when you're younger is is wrong, you know. So it's uh, kind of interesting in this particular way. And um, this is what you end up with. Now, that's exactly who our hero was. There are things about him that he... Let me put it this way: At the end of his life, he was a doctor for some Polish prince. So, where the heck did he get his his, his, his medical information? I don't know. I don't think anybody does. is speculation. Maybe he shot the bull. <laughs> it's possible. It's also possible. But seems somewhere along the line, he picked up some uh, medical knowledge. He, you know, because like I say, he was interested in anatomy. There are those who claim he went to England, but you know, I don't believe there's any truth to all that. A lot of lies made up about him. He's very interesting in that particular way. Anyway, um, he goes to uh, to the West in order to discover, to raise money to publish some of his uh, science type books. And I say science, you know, basically it was anatomy, astronomy, things like that. So he wants to take things that are in, in, in a European language, Latin really, and translate them into uh, Hebrew publish them in Hebrew. So that's to, to spread knowledge of math and science among from Jews. Which is nothing wrong of per se. Right? I mean, what's wrong with that? Okay? Now, when he comes, he gets to Berlin. It's the middle of the 1770s. And he's received very nicely by the Jewish community in Berlin. This is the main years of Moses Mendelssohn. So Berlin was a big Jewish community According to the to the standards of the 18th century, when they're all small anyway, and the Rav was nice to him. And the others they were amazed, the German Jews in Berlin, that, in Eastern Europe, you have a rabbi, who knows math, who knows geometry, who knows trigonometry. Actually, um, they're shocked, because by that time, the Jews in Germany, many of them, had the view, that all the rabbis in Eastern Europe are bunch of dumbbells. Because they live in darkness, and they don't know better, therefore, you have to have to hold them in contempt. So you tell me somebody's a big Talmud Chacham, with very few exceptions, they'll say eh, he's no Talmud Talmud Chacham. He, ne- he memorized pages from the from the Talmud, big deal. He doesn't know about Copernicus or anything. You know, I mean, no, he's a Cretan. He's a dumbbell. He doesn't know what's going on in the world, literally. This is the beginning of the non-from stuff. Now, at the time he came there, they weren't. Chal Shabbos yet but people were pretty skeptical about the cultural level of Jews in Eastern Europe and here's a guy who comes who's very from he was and he's dressed like a rabbi from Poland and again from, from the elite from the rabbinical elite and he's a nice guy and all the rest of it and he wants to publish a book on mathematics he wants to publish a book on anatomy and astronomy Whoa, that's unusual. So the Echis take him to the heart. They say, oh, this is very good. I uh, keep keep it up. While he was in Berlin, here's a guy who's about 30, maybe a little older than 30. Uh, while he's in Berlin, he circulates, and he's uh, introduced to a world he didn't know existed, which is the world of European culture. You don't pick it up in Shklov, and you don't pick it up in Minsk either. You know, at this particular time, the kingdom of Poland was in a serious decline in many ways, and with rare exceptions, you know, the culture level was uh, in Dreard. Now, here comes the culture shock. A guy like our hero grew up in eastern Belarus, and eastern Poland. Right? There, most of the guy were peasants. The mamas can't read or write or anything. They're drunk most of the time. So, as far as culture is concerned, a Yid considers himself vastly superior to all the guys around them because 99% of guys around them are illiterate and uh, coarse and all this sort of thing. It's Eastern European peasantry. Is a drunk, you know? Oh, uh, one second. You see what I'm saying? And the Polish noblemen you meet, you are all drunk and, you know, in hunting parties, things like that. Culture, scientific knowledge is not there. Or it's quite rare, let's put it there. I shouldn't say it's not there. It's quite rare. So a Jew says, I can read and write. I have access to a vast rabbinical culture. Um, I have my own Jewish version of the past. I have, if if, if I wish to, uh, if I wish to, some knowledge beyond Gamar, Gamar, Gamar. There were medieval books around there, like from the Ibn Ezra and people like that, on, on basic mathematics and uh, you know science. Out of date, but you know, they didn't know that. You have the Rambam's in of So, boy, me kam Chisro. But you see, now you go to Berlin, which is the real place, and you realize me kam Chisro. Boy, we're dummies. We don't know anything. Because he's, he's introduced to an entire world German professors, intellectuals, writers, new books coming out all the time with brand new uh, scientific information discoveries. It feels like an idiot. You see? You know, he, he, they're laughing at what he knows. They say, well, how do you have any heard of Euclid? He said, well, I read it in Latin and all the rest of it. Have you heard of, uh, you know, the guys that come now, Isaac Newton, all the rest of it? Who's that? Never heard of him. So, you know, in other words, they're mocking him. Get it? Um, in a good-natured way, but they're mocking him. And the others they consider really cretins. So, whereas, it's a culture shock. Whereas an Eastern European Jew, a rabbi, might feel himself members of super intellectual elite. If you live all the way in the, in the end of Eastern Europe, you feel yourself like super intellectual dumbbell. If you move to Western Europe, legabe limure and modern knowledge of the world, uh, in the world of the Enlightenment. And so it really shook him up. So he published his books, but then he went back to Vilna. Now, by the way, Moses Mendelssohn and his friends, they befriended him. They said, it's really great that you're into Limud Echol, to whatever degree you are. Uh, we want to encourage you. We'll help you raise money to publish your book, books. And they do. Um, why don't you look into a wider Haskola? Meaning, why don't you do like Mendelssohn? You know, teach them German. Why don't you pick up German? Why don't you spread knowledge of... Uh, history and philosophy and modern literature and, you know, knowledge of the world. He wasn't interested in that. I'll tell you, he wasn't a Moscow in that way. He was a Moscow of the old school that he's interested in math and science. He's just taken away, taken back by the fact that, well, math has progressed since the old books I've read. Science has progressed since the old books I read. And he's like shaken up. So, he goes back to uh, Eastern Europe, and he's very bitter over the fact that the Jews are all a bunch of dummies when it comes to call because that's true. Nobody in Eastern Europe knows anything about modern science, mathematics, and all the rest of it. I'll say it again. The cultural stuff of a Muslim type, what we call the Haskalah, didn't interest him. He was a member of the uh, rabbinic elite. He, he, he bought into it. There are norms. The math and science part bothered him. And so he goes to Vilna, and um, he meets the uh, Vilna and he says, I'm, uh, I am I want to publish uh, Euclid's famous uh, book on the geometry, or a lot of it. Euclid was the very famous Greek guy from, what would that be from? Actually, Euclid, I think, lived at the time of the Targum Shivim, the, when they translated the Bible to Septuagint." again. Um, in Alexandria, in Egypt. And uh, he's the famous mathematician and geometer. And as I understand it, you know, the history of science is not my strong point. As, but as as I recall, Euclid is not a machadish, but it's a masadir. He took all the famous Greek stuff he put it into very logical order. And this guy... So in other words, this is a heavy-duty work. And he translated Euclidus. You know, Euclid's uh, um, a book on... on um, on geometry, uh, which is what they're selling, and he went to the Vilna to get a hascomah. Now here comes the interesting, controversial part. The Vilna did not give him a because the Vilna I think I don't think, ever gave us hascomah except two or three times in his life. So that doesn't prove anything by say. But the author, Rebekah Shklov, has a hakdama. And he complains bitterly in the Hagdam. He says, you know, I'm writing to my fellow Jews out here. The guy he considers a bunch of dumbbells. You know, we, we don't know anything. And that's not right, because it's supposed to be Am Chacham B'Navon, uh, Kimi Goy uh, you know, uh, that, that in our time and age, we should know this sort of thing. Um, Let me see, how does he put it over here? I'll read you an English translation I have in one of my... Um, famous heretic books. In the bitter exile of strangers and forsaken aliens, we have remained... He's, he's writing in Hebrew to, to Jews, right? Including the Gro. In the bitter exile and the Golas, as strangers and forsaken aliens, we have remained backwards in all of our realms of knowledge. The wisdom of our wise men and our understanding of our understanding men, you know, Chachmas uh, Chachamov, Navonov, has been lost. Science has been forgotten and mutilated among Jews. And if anyone has the courage take upon himself the double yoke of Torah and science, he's attacked from all sides. The great hosts of opponent consist of two classes. The first are people for whom all ways of wisdom are hidden. And therefore considered basically they're from the obscurantists. They're against anything outside like Gomorra go Gomorrah and they revile every science. Openly and shamelessly they mock knowledge and education. They declare wise men fools and simpletons in order to make them hateful in the eyes of the common people and brand them as heretics and deniers. This is, uh, some of you, if you go online and look for it, you can hear a um, conversation was recorded between Rabbi Ruderman and some Chavaz Chaim guys, uh, many years ago, obviously, where some guys Chavuz Chaim guys came to Ner Thrall seems, or wherever it was, and they interviewed Rosh Hashimah, and they asked him all kinds of things about Europe and so forth, and I remember listening to it. And he told him over. He says that a bunch of guys in Slobodka went to the altar of Slobodka and he said, "You know, uh, the whole Einstein is really dummy compared to one, to, you know, to, to one Ruchaim or something along those lines. You know, and there's one little thing in the in in, in the Torah literature is worth a hundred Einsteins. He's not so smart." And the author said, you're all, you guys are all stupid. Einstein's a genius. That's got nothing to do with whether in fact it's Torah or not. Uh, don't be like that. Saying, don't knock the other guy and say that they're dummies, because they're not dummies. Einstein's not a dumbbell. He's not from, it's not Torah, but you're not a dumbbell. Okay? So that's who our author here is attacking. Um, but far worse are those who belong to the second class. These are the hypocrites who wrap themselves in the mantle of piety and humility, but are really very arrogant and grudging and cannot forgive anyone of whom it is said he has more wisdom than they. They consider that the whole world was created to bow before them and grovel in the dust at their feet, and the more a person is wise, the more they despise him. So in other words, the Jealousy. It's very interesting the way he's touching up the sociology of what amounts to Polish and Lithuanian Jewry in around 1778. Stealthily they undermine him, multiply controversies, and persecute all men of knowledge, in order to aggrandize themselves and gain the upper hand. The Chil HaShem that they they perpetuate doesn't trouble them at all. So in other words, these are people who say, we don't need limical, heck with the whole thing, and um, the people who are doing it are are bad. These hypocrites and frauds have brought about that Kalal Yisrael hates all sciences and are smitten with the plague of blindness. Now, I repeat, he's not talking about culture over here, literature, Shakespeare, and all that kind of business. Philosophy, metaphysics, some mathematics—you know, ba- no, this basic science—they um, brought it about that we are a mockery and a shame in the eyes of all the nations, because we removed ourselves from all the sciences which long ago were the proud pride and crown of our fathers, but are now only in possession of the gentile nations. So this is the Mahalik of the Rambam, and our hero wrote a, uh, published a. Uh, an astronomy book, which is like a pirish on the Ramas Hilchas Kiddush Achodish. See, that's the type of guy he was. He was into math. He was into astronomy. That—that's who he was. He wasn't into history. Didn't interest him at all. Okay. And um, as I said before, he and he wrote a book, the uh, uh, if who was, you know, because he was—he uh, must have picked up a some kind of medical knowledge somewhere along the lines. But wherever the case is, that's thats what happened. Now here's the interesting part. He says, "I showed this to the Vilni and the Vil-Gon encouraged me to do so. He said, keep up the good work and translate other books also of this uh, uh, mathematic types. Uh, because the more you know in um, in Limunichol, the more you'll know in Torah. So this has always been very controversial because the Maskilim later on, who we're not from, used to say, see, the Vilnagon is in favor of Limunichol, And therefore the yeshiva world, you know, jump back against it. And they said, the guy's lying, he didn't have Haskam, he just made it up, he, the Vildegon never said it. And ever since then, there's always been very interesting controversies among the Haredi historians and the anti-historians, and this, that, and the other, what exactly was the position of Vildegon, Legabe, Muricho? Now I want to emphasize, everything I spoke about so far, especially the point of the Vildegon, has to do literally mamish with math and science. They were not talking about philosophy, they were not talking about aesthetics, they were not talking about metaphysics, not talking about questions that raise questions for Amuna. Geometry has nothing to do with Amuna. You see? Um, those kind of things, the girl was in favor There has evolved something like that in our times, where, you know, history may be considered a trait for discipline or um, you know, uh philosophy, things like that, uh by many. But uh math? There's a felt of uh, from uh, you know, math and science guys out there. And, uh, you know, they'll say like this, our thing doesn't clash with Torah uh, in, in any way. Particularly, as I said before, if you have the approach that he's describing to the Vilna the Gong, then what DeGraw is saying, to use modern terminology, I mean, I'm going to put this in modern terms, this happened in 1778, I'm talking about the year 2022, how the heck you be able to a Shiloh on um, Shabbos, the Gabi Electricity, if you don't know what electricity is? You see what I'm saying? So you said, Well, do I have to get a PhD in electrical engineering? I don't know, but you gotta know what electricity is. You see what I'm saying? Like here, Rabbi Heineman in Baltimore is famous. He, you know, for the Star K. They issue uh stoves and ovens and refrigerators and this and that and the other. Because he gotta he's mastered it. You gotta know all the, the science stuff. That doesn't mean necessarily he's in favor of Limure Chol per se. He's not to, uh, believe me, Rabbi is not telling anybody go to college. But you, you know, if you wanna Be able to poskin on questions of technology, which which amplify all the time. Imagine the people like in the Star K or the OU or whatever are into the modern food technologies. You gotta learn the science part of it. You gotta do it. Otherwise you're a cretin. And if you didn't, then any you don't you could never give a heckshore in a factory or anything like this, because they'll run rings around you because you don't know what's going on. You see? Um and and so forth. Imagine to use another example. Nowadays they have all these new things with uh, anatomy, fertility treatments, uh, you know, this and hilchos tarsnach mishpach and all that kind of. You got to know the uh, you know the basic medical stuff. You get it, and if you don't, then 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 you ain't a player. You know, then nobody wants to go for you to pascha shal because you don't know what you're talking about. So, are you saying everybody should go be an MD and all the rest of it? Not necessarily, but you better know what you're talking about when it comes to these halachas. Uh, especially, like I said before, nowadays with all the new technologies out there, let's say for uh, the reproduction, things like that, which are basic features of our modern life. So you can't simply say, I never read an English book. You understand? Now to tell you the truth, in modern Israel, it's very interesting in in the 20th century and, and 21st that because there's a whole secular Israeli culture, all the science and medicine and all the other books are in in writ. And so if somebody is, is I don't care how from you are, you could be, you know, in the in the most uh, sequestered kollel in uh, B'nai Brak or something like that. If you want to be a dyan and you want to start posking and like I said, well, he'll snush them all the rest of it, you're going to get a hold of the medical books. And even if you, if the only language you can read is Hebrew, but nowadays all the science stuff is in Hebrew. You see, in other words, because Israel has medical schools and things of that nature. I'm just giving a general approximation. So uh, this book became very well known. The translation of you the one that's in the catalogue. I mean this is being sold over here. It's on page ninety lot number ninety one. Um it's called Book of Euclid, published at the Hagen seventeen eighty, translated at the instruction of Vilnagon. Well, he claims it was translated the Instruction of Villnigone at the Instruction of Villnegon. And then and it could have been. It's actually not true. It wasn't translated at the instruction of Villnegon. The guy I'm talking about, our hero, wanted to publish it. Anyway. Because he published all these other things as well, and later on he went to Prague and he got a haskama a lukewarm haskama on another book. I think that was the astronomy book from the Nerdei Huda. Say he knew who to go to. You get haskama from Nerdei De Degraw. You're doing okay. So it's not Degraw instructing him to do so. He says that he went to get a haskama from him, and and Degraw like encouraged him. You understand? And he, he says as much as a person lacks knowledge in secular science lack a hundredfold in the wisdom of the Torah, because the Torah and the wisdoms go together. I don't know if De Vilnegon actually said that. This is a big controversy. It could be. No, this is it's, it's not beyond the range of possibility. It don't exactly sound like DeVilnegon, but I could be wrong, and this is precisely the uh the 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 controversy. But I want to say this. The Grub received him, knew him, he was dying in Minsk. It's not like you know, when the Villanagone didn't hold from somebody, held his heretic, went he would talk to him. Like the famous thing with the Baltania, you know. So um, that's not what happened over here. Um, and when he published the, the book, with the Hebrew introduction, he said the girl was in favor of it. I mean, the Villanagone was still alive. He didn't live far away. People, I'm sure, brought it to his attention. So if he never said anything like this whatsoever, the girl would have come out with a with a macho, at least. So probably the Villanagone did agree that when it comes to things like geometry, trigonometry, later on he published a book in trigonometry, from English, by the way, from English, uh, and similar mathematical types of things, probably the grub was all in favor of it, for the same reason I said before, that, you know, you want to understand uh, how to a Shiloh and Hilchah Shabbos on on a refrigerator, you better know how electricity works. You understand? Um, So this became a cultural landmark. So you can, if you're interested in this book, you know, it's about a thousand, two thousand, something like that dollars, something in that area, two, 000, three thousand dollars. That's what it says in the in the catalog. Um, if you're interested in this, I mean, you'll see firsthand. I don't know if this has been reprinted. I believe it hasn't, at least to the best of my knowledge. But you know, I haven't been in Israel a couple of years. I hope to be going soon in January. And only when you get to Israel to Jerusalem, the bookstores over there, do you see the weird stuff that never gets to America. And it could be somebody translated, republished. Uh, Barch of Schlov's uh, elements of um, of of geometry from Euclid. Mevarekol chochmas hamadida hazovios hakav mamrubim. You know your triangles, your your uh, squares. Hamushaloshim haagulos hayechosim haarchim. Aches mehin The science terms come from the Middle Ages when you know people like the the what's the name the um oy, the Ibn Ezra and people like that used to write these books on, on basic mathematics. Uh, there's a whole history over here. And, um, so, what happened to him after this? Yeah, he published a few more books. He moved to, 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 to So he didn't have a controversial later life. I don't know how he became a a doctor for one of the Polish nobles, Prince Radziwill. He lived for a while in, like, a, um, what's the, what do you call it? In eastern uh, Belarus like in a, uh, almost a park. <laughs> there was this very rich Jew, I never spoke about him, called Zeitlin, Short Zeitlin, who was the court Jew of Prince Potemkin, who was the top general and lover of Catherine the Great. And Potemkin was a Russian, but he was unusual that he uh, he liked uh, Jews. And uh, so this guy uh, Zeitlin was a millionaire, and he, and, and he brought in intellectuals to just sit in Harvard, on his estates, and so our hero was there for a while. I eventually died in, in, in 1808, I think it was. Um, his grandchildren, so in other words, I want to make this point. Nothing I said so far has anything to do with the Moses and type scholar. He wasn't the type of guy that was interested, I said, for spreading enlightenment, expanding the intellectual horizons uh, in terms of culture. He was a math and science person. He said, "You know, when you learn the Gemara in, in, in you know, in in Kilayim and in Erevin and all these other things, don't be a dummy um, and understand the basics of geometry, even trigonometry, as I said before. Um, when you will learn the Zohar, and they talk about different how mitzvahs connect to different parts of the body, uh, and uh, the spheros, understand what the body is. Uh, you see, like, like that. It's an unusual way of 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 learning." Sometimes you see in the Hebrew bookstores some guy will try to publish like elements of modern science to sort of spread it in a kosher fashion you know, for a readership. I see it in, in Israel a little bit sometimes. Uh, so our book is this book today is, is a famous cultural landmark of that phenomenon. Uh, that's why it's kind of interesting. You don't need this to learn Euclid and they're, they're past Euclidean geometry but um, it was it was a classic of that type. And I'll say it again. He published this he reported a glowing reception by the Gras at a time when the Gras was still alive and could have you know challenged him and he did not. Um so it sounds like he was you know the the the, the, the did agree, as I said before, if if you're talking about mathematical and scientific knowledge. Um, it it could be that devil. Uh, it's, it's not clear to me, that DeVille and agreed with him to what I said before, which is, it's a chil Hashem, if all the guy considered Jews a bunch of dumbbells. Uh, if all you know is Gamar you don't know anything else, then uh, how are you going to get any kind of respect out there like Rodney Dangerfield? Uh, on the other hand, if you know What's going on in, in the world in terms of nature? So that's what science is. And nevertheless, you're from it's a different story. So, in other words, suppose somebody says today, you know, um, the planets all revolve around the earth. Some Yeshiva guy. And you know, where'd you get that from? Oh, I saw it in the Gemara, whatever. So, people say, I'm not even discussing with this idiot. I mean, he. He's clueless. He knows nothing from nothing. He doesn't understand basic science. Now watch out. I'll give you another example. A guy says like this: "Oh, I know about Copernicus and modern astronomy and all the rest of it. I still hold, for whatever reason, that the that the, the Gemara is right, and that in spite of all the evidence from the you know from the uh, rocket ships and things like that, still it's it, it's a uh, what do you call it? Um, Earth centric. What's the word? You know I mean, that they all go. It's not that we all go around the sun." heliocentric, but they all go around the earth. So people then say, oh, yes, wait a minute, you know what modern science says, and you disagree with it anyway, so I want to know why. No, now I'm going to have a conversation. So Baba Sherebi comes to mind. If I remember correctly, he's all against Copernicus, but he sure as heck knows science, so it's not like he's a cretin, he never heard of it. He has a reason that he says, despite what the scientists say, I hold this anyway. So that means you're a player. I can, you, you have an opinion. I'm, I'm interested to hear why you don't agree with modern science. Uh, notice you, you offer arguments, reasons, though. Either people accept them or they won't accept them. But that's not like somebody never even heard of it in the first place. So that's who our hero was. And DeGraw and the others, which they said, we want to know uh, what are the latest findings of empirical science. I'm going to point that out, empirical science. And then we'll see how that enhances, or otherwise, the uh, the knowledge of the Torah. Uh, so, he might, to some degree, be a precursor of Torah and That might, uh, I'm not sure about that. Uh, because Torah and sounds like he's interested in culture, per se, and he was not interested in culture. He was too much of the old school. I'll tell you again, he came from the Moschashah families. You know, when he was in Minsk, uh he was immediately elected a member of what they called the Shiva Kruim, which was the Khibra Kadisha In Eastern Europe, Khibra Kadisha was like the most exclusive country club and only the very Khushva could get in and it was only for members of the elite and players. If I remember correctly the Balatanya who was born a Litvish, you know, when when he was a baby they enrolled him in the because he that means he 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 was a member of one of the most families in town. So I remember was a he was a member of the rabbinical establishment, but he didn't like the obscurantism that blocked knowledge of, you know, of basic metzias of science in the sense that what's going on in the reality of the world. Uh, so as I said before, this item, which is in the Genozim catalog, again, it's going to be, it has on the cover that they having their auction online, um, on December 12th uh, of December 11th, which is what, in a week or two. Um, this is going to be one of the things the items that are up for auction. It's a very interesting piece of the Gras kind of culture. Um, and it's interesting to put them side by side with Avram Benagra that I spoke about last week, in which they're both very, very from people, but they're interested, as I said before, um, in science in terms of the Matthias of the world. In the case of Avram Benagraw, had to do with geography, as I pointed out. That's the Matthias of the world. Our hero today was more like the egghead type in the abstract, uh, which is geometry, trigonometry, and things of that nature. Anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. Once again, this is from the Gnozum catalog that just came out. It's got a lot of all kinds of other goodies. Maybe I'll have some ideas for other um, bios. And uh, with that, I wish you all a good Shabbat.